Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 21, 1 Samuel 21, continuing our study through the book of 1 Samuel. You'll remember last week we were beginning to track now with David as he is being pursued by Saul. David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. Samuel has anointed him. God has chosen him. Uh, But Saul is still the reigning king in Israel. God has rejected him. His ministry has come to an end, but he's still reigning physically there, although God is ultimately raising up David to take his place. And so Saul has become jealous of David. Saul has become so jealous of David that he wants to kill David. And he's put out this edict, and we saw last week how Saul's son, Jonathan, who had become a dear friend of David, actually warned David that, in fact, his father was trying to kill him and that he needed to flee. So this is what we pick up here in chapter 21. David is on the run. Uh, Jonathan had warned David. They had parted as friends, but you remember it was great sorrow. Now, up until now, we know, we know that David is described as a a man after God's own heart. And this is something that God described of David even before he was anointed as king. It said that God had found a man after his own heart. And this relationship that David had, this man of a heart towards God, was something that had been developed in David as a young man, really pretty much as he was out in in the sheep pastures taking care of his father's sheep. We know that he had relationship with the Lord there. But a man after God's own heart still needs to be forged into a man ready to be king. And what we're going to see here now is God beginning to really develop in David those things that would be needed for him, not just to be a man after God's own heart, but a man that would be ready to serve as king over God's people. And this is going to be the opportunity that God uses to really forge David's character And unfortunately for David, it brings him to a very low place. Think of David on the run now. He is uh, kind of fallen from such a high place within the kingdom. Remember, he had killed Goliath and has become something of a famous warrior in Israel. He ministered there uh, to, to Saul in the king's palace. Saul gave him his daughter as a as his wife. But now David is on the run. He's no longer serving in the palace. He is no longer the the mighty warrior uh, serving as the king's uh, general. He's had to run from his home. His wife helped him sneak out because Saul had come looking to his house. So he's out of his home. Uh, He can't go back to his family. Surely Saul will look for him there. He is really, uh, this is a really a low, low place for David. And it's in this setting that we find David, even a man after God's own heart, will find that he wavers. We'll find that God has to work things in his character and out of his character. Pick it up with me now in verse 1. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David has just left Jonathan. He's just left uh, where Saul is reigning, and he is now runs to the tabernacle. He goes to visit the priest. He goes to inquire of the priest. He goes really in turning his heart to the Lord. But Ahimelech is not 
is not used to seeing David travel alone. By this time, David had become quite a uh, famous leader in Israel. And whenever you saw David, you saw him with his men, you saw him with his entourage, you saw him traveling in some kind of group or company. And so Ahimelech is wondering, what's up? This is David all by himself. Immediately the priest is concerned about what's going on in David's life. Verse 2. So David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know about anything. Excuse me. Do not let anything. Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. So David lies to the priest. Uh, well, I'm, I'm alone because I'm on a secret mission. Uh, the king has sent me out on. I'm special forces now, and I've sent my men on ahead of me, and I can't really talk about my secret mission. Now, that's, of course, not at all what was going on. David was running for his life. The, the, the business of the king was to try and kill David. And David now finds himself really a new low for David. And it's interesting that David, in this place... Uh, really begins, I, I think we would have to say, he starts to backslide. He starts to kind of drift away from his, his integrity, his honesty. He is now kind of scrambling. He's making up this story on the run. He's lying to the priest. He's there, you know, to inquire of the Lord, but he doesn't want to cause too much trouble, so he makes up this deceitful story. He's in fear. He's running for his life. And I think probably maybe we could even understand why he was kind of hedging and not telling the priest. Maybe he's trying to protect the priest lest he get in trouble. But most likely he's trying to preserve his own life. He's in fear. He's in confusion. Now, David has been unjustly accused. David is not in this place because of, of any wrongdoing of his own. Saul has become a madman and wants to kill him. Saul tried to kill his own son when he found out that he wasn't being honest about where David was. So David is not kind of in this place because of his own doing and the result of his sin, but rather he's just trying to survive. And this is a new place for David. David up until now has, has known nothing but the favor of the Lord. This is the David who went out and slew the giant Goliath. This is a man that has walked in faith and really known God's favor and blessing. He's been on the rise. His star has been rising in Israel. And all of that now is gone. And he finds himself confused. What is going on? And you can kind of relate to where he might have been. Haven't you had times where you wonder, what is going on? Why is this happening to me? God, what have I done to bring this storm into my life? I mean, I could understand, Lord, if I was making some of my own kind of, you know, sinful choices and I end up in circumstance and consequence of my own doing. But God, I find myself here trying to honor you, trying to live you. What have I done, Lord, but try to be a man after your heart? And now I don't understand. You, you, I'm, I'm supposed to be the next king. I, Samuel anointed me. There's a calling on my life, and it seems like none of that is going to take place. I'm not even sure if my life's going to be saved through this process. I'm not even sure if I will escape with my life, let alone ever be the king. And it's not something that he's used to. It's not something that he even expected from the Lord. And I do believe that this is the place that God actually needed and desired to bring David. 
a place where he would have to trust in the Lord in, in ways he had never had to trust before. Before, as you know, it, it seemed to be like God was just laying the steps before him. But now all is changed, all is confusing, all is fearful. And it's in this place that we see David, instead of really rising up in faith, we see him scrambling, even lying to a priest to protect himself. This lie that David tells Ahimelech, he would live to regret. We'll find out in chapters to come that this would be, this would bring a circumstance related to this lie that David would greatly regret. As often is the case, even For God's people, when we find ourselves in a backslidden state, we end up making decisions and mistakes that bring consequences into our life. I'd like to say that, you know, as a Christian, you'll just don't worry about it. If you're a good, strong Christian, you'll never backslide. (laughs) But that's not been my experience, and that's not been the experience of those that I know as believers. The Christian life is a, a series of ups and downs. And, and here even David, who we know is a, a man of God, who we know is a man called of God, but we find him in this confused, weak moment, lying to the priest, scrambling, trying to you know connive his way to safety. A man who had once trusted God with nothing but a sling to face a giant is now trying to, through his own cunning and his own wits, find a way of escape for himself. And it would be something of a regret. But let's look on here now and see how this chapter plays out. Verse 3, Now, therefore, what have you on hand? David lies, says, I'm here on king's business. Now, what do you have here on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. I'm I'm, I'm on a very important mission from the king, and by the way, I need food. (laughs) Verse 4, And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women, David said that he's been traveling with some young men. Of course, he was alone. Verse 5, Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. David needs supplies. He's on the run. He's hoping that the priest can equip him with some food while he continues to run. And the priest said, we don't have any bread. There is no common bread. All that we have is the showbread, the holy bread. Now, as we know from the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, that the priests were to bake 12 loaves of bread every Sabbath, and they were to place those in the tabernacle. It was called the showbread. These, these loaves were to represent the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were to be this bread baked and to, to remain in the presence of the Lord. Now, symbolically, this was the Lord's heart to have fellowship with his people. In other words, we will break bread together. After the, after the days of the showbread were done and the new loaves came in, then the priest would go and, and eat these, these loaves of bread. 
And it was to, to, to symbolize God fellowshipping with his people. That his people would always be before him. That there would always be a, a door of hospitality and openness into the house of God. That you would come. You would dine with God. Come and have relationship with me. And this was the, the image that God looked for in the showbread. And it was to be consumed by the priests as they exchanged the loaves each Sabbath. But David is in need of bread. And so the priest recognizes that, look, this is a human need, which really is more important than our ceremonial keeping of this bread. And so he gives David the bread. Now, he does ask. Now, the men that have been traveling with you, have they been kept themselves from women for a time? Because we want to at least keep some respect for this bread. It's not just common bread. And David says, oh, yes, don't worry. My guys are... My guys are, have stayed from women for at least three days since we've come out. Of course, there were no men. There was only him. But he's, he's, get, you know, he's kind of going along with his story. Now, you'll remember, we just studied this right out Sunday on, in the park in our service, when Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain fields and they were gathering grain on the Sabbath, rubbing it in their hands and eating the wheat. And the Pharisees said, hey, you're... Your disciples are sinning. They're, they're eating wheat on the Sabbath. They're, you know, they're harvesting and threshing and you know, winnowing on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, don't you remember? And he, rec- he, he recalls this account in 1 Samuel chapter 21. He says, don't you remember when David was on the run? How the priest gave him the bread which was supposed to be eaten by the priests? Jesus himself verifying that the priest did no wrong here. That the priest actually made a good discerning decision that, you know, there is a point to God's ceremony, but that is never to trump the essence of human need. All of the ceremony, all of the the types are actually to teach and instruct, excuse me, instruct men in relationship with God. Not to be taken so literally that they actually repel relationship with God. And that was the Pharisees' trouble in Jesus' day. So here we see where Jesus references this transaction with the showbread and David having an opportunity to kind of equip himself for the road. Verse 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. So here's one of Saul's uh, guys that just happens to be there taking all this in. Verse 8, And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapon with me, because the king's business required haste. Um, It sure did. He was trying to kill you. You had to get out of town very quickly. Kind of half true, right? Uh, Anyway, so verse 9. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. So he gets his bread, and now he wonders, "Uh, By the way, do you have any weapons here, priest? Uh, because I had to leave so quickly on my secret mission that I, for, you know, I left my sword at home. <laughs> and uh, now, 
we notice here this man Doeg. Doeg is an Edomite. He's not one of the children of Israel, but he's somebody that Saul has hired as a herdsman and he's kind of watching over some of Saul's possessions. We, we have it referenced here that he is there observing. We'll find out in later chapters how he plays into the story. His name is Doeg. You might pronounce it dog. And he turns out to be a dog, as we'll see in the, in the verses ahead. He is definitely kind of becoming something of Saul's spy in the, watching this transaction between David and the priest. But the priest says, listen, we don't have any swords here, but we have this one spear. And uh, that is the one that you got from Goliath after you killed him. And David says, oh, man, there's none like that one. Let me have that one. That one, that's the one I used to cut off Goliath's head with. That's a good sword. I'll take that one. And so David is now armed with both bread and weapon. But this confidence that he has in obtaining Goliath's sword, it is a little ironic that David now in this fearful, confused state, we do not see the young man of faith that we saw when he took Goliath's sword. David went out against Goliath with nothing more than faith and, and a shepherd's sling. But now we see David scrambling. Oh, yeah, I need that sword. Let me have that sword. That's what I need now. We don't see this young man of faith saying, you know what? God is with me. God has called me. God has anointed me. God will protect me. We don't see David speaking to the priests. Look, this is what's happened. I'm telling you the truth. Saul is after me. And I believe that he wants to kill me. But I'm trusting in God. I believe that I've, God has called me. I've done, this, I've done Saul or the kingdom no wrong. Think of what, how things might have played out had David's faith risen at this occasion. But that's just not where he's at. And God is using this to actually develop David's heart and his life and confidence in the Lord. Where is the faith that gave him victory over Goliath? Alan Redpath, he's a Christian author, and he writes on the life of David, a book talking about the, the making of a man of God, and he tra tracks David's life and how God worked in David's life to really develop him into a godly man. He says this of David in this instance. David lost confidence in God, and in fulfillment of God's purpose for his life, which had been revealed to him. He went to God's house for comfort and help and guidance, but he was detected as being wrong in his soul. Instead of acknowledging the truth to the only one who could help him and confessing that he had been telling a lie, he ran for his life again. It's a moment for David to call out to the Lord, but instead he continues to run and in his backslidden state, he's looking to manage on his own cunning and on his own strength. He's lying. He's deceiving in self-preservation. And I do believe that there is some application for us. There are going to be seasons in our lives where God is going to allow us to come into those places where we don't have all the answers, where, where we're not understanding why God is allowing this condition, this trial. And these are the moments where I believe our, our faith is tested. These are the moments where our faith is refined, 
These are the, are the seasons in life where, where we have to learn how to respond even in that place in faith. When the Lord is working and, and prayers are being answered, and it's an exciting time, what's God going to do next? He's opening doors. I, I can see his hand. I can see kind of how his path is opening before me, the doors, and how he's leading me, and we're walking in faith. That's, that's a... That's a beautiful time in relationship with the Lord. And we have those seasons, but when, when the doors are all closed and we don't know what the next steps are and we are in a place of fear and confusion, where's our faith then? Is God, has God changed? Has God's prom, have God's promises lost their power or their assurance? But that's the place where faith is really going to be tested and that's what's going on here in David's life. How far do we go, even in our backslidden state, before we come back to the Lord? This is an interesting contrast between David and Saul. Both of them started very well, and both of them now, uh, both of them had low points. This is David's low point. Saul, too, came to places of low point where he was relying on his own strength, his own wisdom, his own cunning. The difference is going to be that David is not going to continue down. Saul will continue down and never return. David is going to come to himself like the prodigal son. It says that he came to himself. David is not going to live in this state forever. He's not going to continue to spiral away from God. There is a point where in David's heart he's going to come back to the Lord. Now he's not there yet. We'd like to think that this would have certainly been the opportunity. You're at the house of God. You're at the priest. You've got nowhere else to go. This is the time to really cry out to God. But we see that David is going to continue to try to make it on his own. But that's, that's the challenge for our heart, too. When we're, when we're confused, when we're struggling, when we even find ourselves maybe even in a backslidden state, how far before you come to your senses, the sooner the better. Let me say the sooner the better. Let's follow with David here and see what he does next. Let's see the next good idea that he comes up with. Verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, stop there. So I can't hang out here at the tabernacle. I, uh, you know, it'll just be a matter of time till Saul finds me here. I've got bread. I've got a sword. I know what I'll do. I'll go over to the Philistines. In fact, I'll go to Goliath's hometown. I'll walk into Goliath's hometown with Goliath's sword on my waist. That sounds like a good idea. No one will recognize me. No one will notice that I'm carrying Goliath's uh, sword. No one will recognize me as the one who killed their champion. Let me see if God can protect me there. This is another problem with being backslidden. You don't always think clearly. Your mind is not making good decisions. And David, I mean, what, what came upon him that he thought this would be a good idea? I'll turn to the world. I'll run out and, and just maybe I can find an answer in the world. It's not working with God. It's not turning out. It's not happening. Church isn't working. Prayer isn't, isn't helping. God's Word is, is not coming through for me. Maybe there's an answer for me even out in the world. 
I'll go out and turn to my old ways or I'll go turn, even run to the, to the enemies of God. They seem to be doing better than I, do, I am anyway. Ever had that kind of wrestling in your thought? Ever seen the, those that make those choices? They run to the world hoping that maybe the world will offer some solace, some answer to their confusion because they're frustrated with the Lord. And he just doesn't seem to be honoring even his promises. And this is where David is. And so he goes to the village, to a city of the Philistines, and he walks into Goliath's hometown with Goliath's sword on his belt. Let's see how it turns out for him. Verse 11. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Remember that song that they sang when they came back from their victory in Gol- and over Goliath? That, that hit had made it all the way into the Philistine cities. Verse 12, Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman? Uh, That you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Now, David, as it turns out, he's too well known to hide in the Philistine town. He's got a reputation that follows him wherever he goes. He is the one that killed one of their great warriors. And the song that was sung in Israel has now been sung even in their city, and they recognize him right off. As soon as he walks into the town, he thinks he's going to hide in the world, and the world, even the world calls him out. You know you're in trouble when even the world says, Hey, don't you think that you're not supposed to be here? Aren't you the one that used to tell me that this was not the way to live and now here you are wanting to hang with us? David finds even in in the Philistine village that he can't hide. And he ends up being captured and he's in fear of this king Achish. And so in this fear that he's in, he begins to act like a madman, acts crazy, pretends that he's lost his mind. And this seems to work. The, the king of Achish says, get rid of this guy, run him out of town. And we'll see in, chap- in the next chapters that he escapes. Now, there is some question here as to, as da- is David still kind of operating in his own cunning as he pretends to be a, wise, uh, uh, a crazy man? Or is he actually uh, operating in a, in a wisdom in wh- while he confuses the enemy? For sure, David is completely making a fool of himself. This is an absolute humbling and humiliating of himself before his enemies. This was, the, this, was the, this was the young man that said, Who is this Philistine that defies God and his people? And now he is there in fear, pretending to be insane before, his, before the enemies that he once boasted in the Lord. It is a low point of humility in David's life. But something happens here. When David hits this place, something awakens in his heart. We don't see it recorded for us here in 1 Samuel, but we, know, but we can see some of the psalms that he wrote 
during this occasion. Open your Bibles, flip your Bibles with me to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. And as you get there, you'll notice in the the title of the psalm, we see when this psalm was written and by whom. Psalm 56, to the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands, a mictum of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. So, Whether David actually penned this psalm while he was there, before he was released, or whether this is where his heart came to and he later penned it out, knowing the prayer that he cried out while he was in Gath, we're not sure. But what we do know is that this psalm was birthed in his heart in that place. Look at it with me. Verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. For man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity and anger? Cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Now you see the the setting in which David writes this psalm. And this is the key to David's heart. This is really the key to David's life. Is that even in his lowest moments, even when he's backslidden and lying and trying to manage his life in his own strength, there is something of a spiritual bedrock that he ultimately lands on. And when he gets to that place, when God has broken him down to the bedrock, this is where he remembers who he is. He remembers who God is. He remembers who who has called him. And he remembers where his trust needs to be placed once again. And you see him crying out to God in this moment of thinking his life would be over. I'm captured. I've been caught by my enemies. They're going to surely put me to death. And in this moment, his heart begins to cry out to God. And it's a deep, sincere cry. Oh, God, put my tears in your your bottle. Are they not in your book, Lord? You hear me. You know me. And he says, God is for me. 
I will trust in the Lord. You almost hear him like kind of, you know, it's not a pep talk. It's just a reminder of, of what, who God is. I will praise the Lord. I will put my trust in him. He says, my vows are binding. I will render praise to you. God, I remember my vow. I remember the promises that I made you. I remember the promises that you made to me. And I remember how my heart promised and vowed to follow you and to trust you. And God, I'm coming back to you. I'm not going to fear man. I'm going to fear God. What can man do to me? And something of the old David is now coming up again. Something of that young man's faith that went out to fight Goliath is now rising up here in Gath. And that's why I wonder if that, if that feigning madness was really just a, a continued weakness and he came to himself after, or if somewhere in the spirit he just began to humiliate himself before his enemies and God used it to get him away. In either case, we know that David's heart is that it's somewhere in this setting that David's heart is beginning to turn. And listen, I've got to tell you, that's the key to our Christian living as well. You're going to have those low points. But there needs to be a bedrock of faith and confidence and trust in God that rises up even in those lowest points. But I'm, I, God is for me. God is faithful. God is good. God hears me when I cry. My tears are in his bottle. Every, there is a, he put records in his book every word that I cry out to him. I'm not forgotten. I'm not forsaken. He will rescue me. He will yet deliver me. What can man do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me? And those promises have to rise up. Those are easy to quote when things are going well. It's when you're in gaff. It's when you're at the lowest points that that kind of faith needs to be found. And that's where God, that's the faith that God is trying to forge. He's trying to get this young man ready to be a king. He's trying to prepare this man for the calling upon his life. And don't you know that's what God is busy about in our lives? Don't you know he's working to prepare you for that which he's called you to? Don't you know you too are called to reign as priests and kings with your God? And God is grooming you for faith and confidence and trust and hope and praise and worship in all seasons. God is working on David. God is developing David. And we find David, as he hits that foundation of his faith, he rises up again. Turn with me now and we'll close in Psalm 34. He gets out of this jam. <laughs> he had to do a little drooling to kind of get there, but it worked. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know if this was David just being kind of cagey where the Lord helped him, you know, and just go with it, David. I'll, I'll use it. You know, I don't know. I, I do know this, that sometimes... You know, when, you, when your heart is turning to the Lord, He makes even your kind of feeble decisions work out. Have you ever had that happen in your life? You're in trouble, but your heart begins to turn to the Lord, and then it seems like even your weird ideas, He makes them work out for you, because your heart is coming back to Him. Your heart is returning to the Lord. Psalm 34, well, He gets out. And boy, when He gets out, look at Psalm 34 again, the title of Psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, 
who drove him away and he departed. Boy, he wrote this one in a much better mood, I'm sure. Look at verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall, be, shall continually be in my mouth. I mean, when he left Gath, he was, he was really feeling uh, worship and praise in his heart. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil. And your lips from speaking deceit. Sounds like David's learning something here, isn't it? Uh, Guys, line doesn't work out so well. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Remember the earlier psalm when David, was, his tears were in the bottle. He, he's saying, look, I had a broken heart, a contrite spirit. The Lord heard me. He saved me. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. This beautiful psalm of praise and worship and confidence in God. It was birth in coming through this ordeal and this trial and this low point in his life. These are psalms. You, you, you recognize some of these verses, don't you? These are verses that speak to our hearts. Well, now you know they were forged in the fire of adversity and trial. And David, can, when he writes these, of course, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he's also writing from the, ex, the experience of his own life. These are not just a thoughts from God. These are realities from God that I have seen him do in my life. And this is what brings power and confidence even to us. He rejoices in the Lord's goodness. He knows that he doesn't deserve what he's been going through, but he knows that God is working in his life in spite of it. When you go to a low point, you need to hit that that bedrock of your faith sooner rather than later. Better to... Return to the Lord as soon as you recognize that you're away from Him. As soon as that dawns on you, you know what? I'm in my own strength here. I'm in my own scheming here. 
I'm trying to manage my, my, my fallout, my troubles. As soon as you come to that place, that's the time to turn your heart to the Lord and say, Oh God, I'm crying out to you. You're my refuge. You're my safety. You're my security. You're my help. And as David did, he found, he found this wonderful deliverance. From here, David will go to the cave. We won't look at that here tonight, but starting in chapter 22, he's going to end up in the cave of Adullam. We're going to see some other psalms that he wrote in those places. Uh, but that's the place the Lord was ultimately trying to get him. David was out running on his own. God was trying to get him alone in a cave where he could really speak to him and really minister to him and begin to bring and assemble people around his life that he would be able to help and minister to. And that, that's ultimately what God is after. He's trying to use our lives for His glory. He's trying to bring us to a place where we're fully surrendered to Him and where we're trusting in Him. And uh, that's, that's where David had to come. And this isn't going to be the end of David's ups and downs, but it is certainly one of his lowest points. And we see how God met him and rescued him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You tonight for this lesson in the life of David. We read through these psalms, Lord. They bring great comfort and encouragement to us. How many times have we, in time of, of trial, heartache, Lord, how many times have, have we opened up to the psalms and found comfort? And found that word in season. It just, just opening it up almost anywhere in the psalm. And just hoping our eyes will land on a verse that will bring comfort and encouragement. And so often, Lord, you meet us in the psalms. And we understand something about that tonight. Because we see that so many of them were forged through real life experiences with your people. Going through trial and having to learn to trust and turn to you. As our hearts are here tonight, Lord, I pray. I pray for anyone that may need to turn to you tonight. Of course, I'm thinking of, of anyone here tonight that has never really turned to the Lord. You've never invited Jesus into your life. And maybe you're here tonight and, and you see something of your own life in David, just out managing it in your own strength, running and trying to make it all work out. And you realize tonight you need the Lord. I'd love to pray for you if you'd like to receive him and allow him to forgive you of your sin as you put your trust and confidence in what Jesus has done for you at the cross. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're just in a backslidden state. If you were honest, you would say, Pastor, I'm in one of those low points. I'm away from God. I'm not trusting in him. I'm not crying out to him. I'm out on my own. I'm trying to do it on my own strength. I've been trying to manage it and I'm getting worse and, and, and drifting away even farther from God. But I hear the cry of the Lord in my heart tonight. I, I hear the foundation of my faith crying out to me, come back. Come back to the Lord. Turn your heart again to Him. Let Him refresh you tonight. I'd love to pray for you if you're here tonight and you want to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord. So if you're here tonight and you want to receive Jesus for the very first time or you want to rededicate your life to Him, I would ask you simply to raise your hand where you're seated tonight and I'll pray for you. Anybody here tonight, the Lord's speaking to you. You need the Lord. You need to turn back to the Lord. God bless you. 
hand over on my far right. Anyone else here tonight? Maybe you're at a low point and you need Jesus. A couple hands. Amen. Hand there in the center. God bless you, sir. Anyone else joining these three that have responded just before I pray? Amen. I see that hand over there on the far right. So, Lord, I do pray that you would meet these hearts here tonight. God, I pray in the same way that when David cried out with a a sincere heart, a contrite spirit, Lord, not coming, demanding, but coming and saying, Oh, God, please help me. Please save me. Please forgive me of my sin. Please cleanse me tonight, not because I deserve it, but because you love me. And you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Cleanse me and refresh me anew. Lord, I'm coming back to you. Help me to once again trust in you. And to put my praise and confidence in you tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.